Hello everyone, welcome to the Arseholics podcast on Monday night, bank holiday weekend in the UK. I hope you've all had a great weekend, Arsenal winning again. Um, please make sure you uh, like, share, subscribe the pod. We love having you here. Um, we've been really, really like delighted by looking at some of the stats of the pod recently, particularly having listeners from places around the world that we never, I think we thought we'd ever reach. Right. Um, and, um, you know, places like Sierra Leone, that was, you know, that's amazing to, to hear. And it, you know, it, it really brings us great enjoyment doing this. So please, you know, if you can share, get the pot out there. So more people in places like Sierra Leone can, can, can um, hear us. And, um, I've got Mize here with me. Uh, Mize and, uh, and I were very, very lucky enough to be at the, at the West Ham game at the London stadium, um, been on a, a, a good little run of um, being able to go to away games towards the, the back end of this season. Mm. Um, Mize, welcome. Uh, are you uh, still a bit hungover from, hey, <laughs> from the actually, big day we had? Yeah, we did have a big day, <laughs> didn't we? Um, yeah, it was a, it was a early start in terms of on the booze. Um, but no, I felt fine this morning. I think because we kind of eased off um, after the, well, once the game kicked off, I guess we eased off a bit and um, just had a couple afterwards, didn't we? And it was quite chilled out afterwards. So yeah, and no, I felt fine, but I was still, um, yeah, like you say, it's been a nice little run the last few games. Um, what a different, what a difference, uh, a couple of weeks and three, three matches make eh? Yeah, of course, mate. I mean, again, we said it last in the last part, who would have thought it after those three defeats in a row recently, but you know, let's, let's not dwell on that too much. What, what, why is that? You know what? Like, I, we should probably let you sort of take the lead on this. Um, Given you are a man from Essex, uh, from, yeah, from, yeah. from 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 East Side, you know, um, West Ham is obviously not somewhere that's too far away from from where you live. Uh, well, well, in relative terms, right, compared to me, who, who lives in Southwest London, um, West Ham have got this, you know, shiny new stadium, which I suppose isn't so new anymore. But it's it's been a few seasons. It's the first time I've been. It's not the first time you've been, mm. um, and. Uh, it was. I, I thought. I thought it was a thoroughly enjoyable experience. Actually, to be honest, it's. It, it's. Uh, you know, it, it's a stadium that wasn't initially. So, for those of you that don't, you may, many of you may know, but you know, it wasn't a stadium that was initially built for West Ham. You know, it's the Olympic Stadium. It was built for the Olympics, and um, and as a result, it's got a fairly um, high end feel to it. You know, it's 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 basically you know kind of it's kind of like a smallish Wembley, I guess. You know, in in that kind of feel, I suppose. Um, but it's also. Uh, right next to a place called Stratford. So Stratford is a, a you know a place in East London which really really kind of expanded during the Olympics. So it wasn't necessarily uh, the most happening place, but then sort of at the end of two thousand and six seven, when it became clear that the Olympics were going to happen at some point, or even I think the bid hadn't even been won that yet, but in the hope that it would be won, that that area, the amount of investment that went into Stratford was just immense and. Um, it's a it's a pretty cool and happening place. Mize, I mean, I mean, tell us a little bit. You're, you know, as I said, the East London boy. Um, tell us a bit about Stratford West Ham, and, and you know, you've got a lot of family who are West Ham fans, yeah, well, don't you? Yeah, yeah like, so like you say, um, you know, the, I mean, even the area I live, and or just in Essex in general. I mean, a lot of people in Essex tend to support West Ham. So when I get on the train to go to an Arsenal game, if West Ham are playing home that day, you know, the trains are packed with uh, West, with West Ham fans. My train into like my route to Arsenal goes through West Ham station, um, um, which isn't necessarily the station that connects directly to the stadium. Um, but then I have to go through Stratford to get to Highbury and Islington. So, um, yeah. So I like to say my, my uh, wife's family, all of my in-laws, they're all West Ham and a lot of people I know are West Ham. So, so, you know, I kind of have, um, I have a lot of conversations with people about, about West Ham and, um, 
I've I've been to Upton Park many many times. My brother-in-law's a West Ham fan, um, and I used to go with him quite a bit actually, just because he used to always get spare tickets going back kind of fifteen years or so. Uh, been to some really really random games at Upton Park, and been to some good ones as well. Been to a couple of Arsenal games at Upton Park and um, uh, sat in with the home fans, and I was there when I don't know if you remember the one where um, it was a two-two draw, and we were wearing one of the blue night kits, and Henri scored. An absolute belter. It was one of it was the it's, it's quite a it's quite a famous goal now just because it was such a good goal. But it was one where um, the ball's kind of bouncing and it and and uh, he just he just hits it on like the volley or half volley and it's yeah I think I remember that it was like a really motion like an it's like an emotion yeah, type yeah volley. And then he celebrates like yeah yeah and he kind of grabs yeah. the shirt and he celebrates and I was there for that game and yeah anyway so like yeah I mean like I could talk about my experiences of of West Ham in general uh, quite a bit but yeah like it's quite interesting what you say about the stadium because. The match day experience for us was was good, right? Like we obviously booked a table somewhere and we were on the beers for for a, a good couple of hours before or not on the beers, but on. The- and we completely lucked out, didn't we? We, we <laughs> to cut a long story short, we basically booked a bottomless brunch. Yeah. They sort of screwed up on the food order and we didn't get our food. And in the end, again, to cut a very long story short, I think we each had at least ten drinks. So it was about, I think, you know, we were on the we were on the Cuba Libras, right? So we had a we had about I think probably about eight each. We had a few. Jaeger bombs yeah and and all in all and actually i think we you know we i think we had another couple of at least one drink before the but anyway the point is because they messed up all in all we got all these drinks everything that i've described for 10 pound each because they screwed up the order and so they so so in london right in london you can you can pay 10 pounds for a cocktail that's like fairly normal Go out central and pay ten pounds for a cocktail. We had we had about 12, 10, 12 drinks for, for a ten. It was amazing, wasn't it? So we were we were pretty yeah. steaming, weren't we? Yeah, we were. We were. What I was going to say was like, it, it's so with with this new stadium, like like so. I've been a couple of times. This is the second time I've been. Um, I mean, mate, like when you, I, I do kind of feel sorry for West Ham fans because obviously they never wanted to leave Upton Park to. To a certain degree, a lot of Arsenal fans didn't ever want to leave Highbury. But I guess the difference between our stadium move and their stadium move is, you know, we moved down the road. Like you can, our, our, a lot of fans route to the Emirates, whether they're walking, getting the train, whatever, it still kind of goes through the same roads as it would if you're going to Highbury um, back in the day. Whereas this is like, they've just, you know, obviously they've moved like location completely. And my experience of going to Upton Park back in the day was, you know, whether I was going, you know, whenever I was going as an Arsenal fan, I've been a few times as an Arsenal fan, like I said, you know, you'd be, you'd basically be shitting yourself. Like it was a very, very hostile kind of place where, you know, I mean, I don't know if you ever went to Upton Park, but no, no. So I'm intrigued. All oh, right, we, yeah, we, we can talk about I, this. I, I'm surprised we didn't talk about this on the on the day. But yeah, so we were so, too drunk. But yeah. yeah, probably. So, um, so where so the stadium uh, where Upton Park used to be is kind of similar to how Highbury was in terms of well, kind of, but not really. But it's it's a stadium that is you know surrounded by uh, it's kind of off a of high street, Green Street, um, and surrounded by yeah residential it's a residential area properties and shops and everything so it's you know very very tight um in terms of what's surrounding it and um my memory of it is like i say you kind of get off the train at um i think it was upton park was it upton park station i can't remember and um you know you'd go past the west ham pubs as you're walking down green street and you'd 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 kind of see what's going on inside and i've been inside a couple like i say going with my brother-in-law kind of pretending to be a west ham fan as it were in terms of just like um uh going like hanging out with other west ham fans and um yeah and 
it's pretty, I don't know what the word is. Yeah, hostile. Um, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've seen like the film Green Street. It does feel a bit like that, you know, where you do feel quite quite intimidated. I was quite young when, I, when, I, when I've been before. And, um, you know, I've seen quite a lot there when I've been, like I've been, I've seen quite a few fights, seen quite a few, like, um, like we saw a few scuffles after the game and we're going to get onto that. But um, I've seen some proper, proper, proper fights um, and some proper kind of scary, scary incidents. And I think I feel like they've just basically lost, not not saying that, that all of that is a good thing, but from what they had at Upton Park to have moved to a stadium that isn't basically nowhere near, it is in, in terms of it's like a few miles away, but it's not like walking distance, obviously going, moving to Stratford. You know, it's this now, it's, it is, it's where football's going, right? It's kind of like this experience, like the match day experience. We saw it after the game. We were trying to get a table to sit down and get some food and get some drinks somewhere. And we went to like, what, four or five places and everywhere was just packed because West Ham had just played and all the home fans are trying to do the same as what we were doing. Um, and it's very, very different to what Upton Park used to be. You know, Green Street is very well known for its kind of Asian, um, you know, like South Indian, or sorry, Indian, Asian communities there um lots of indian shops indian restaurants or asian restaurants and um you know they've kind of lost all of that now and 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 yeah. i guess that's just natural in terms of what happens but i kind of feel for west ham fans because it i don't know about your take on what you thought the atmosphere was like for your first time going and we can obviously i'm really keen to hear about this but i've been like i've been twi- i've been twice now the first time i sat in the upper tier with the arsenal fans so to the new stadium um that was a game that we won so to be honest, the home fans weren't great. I think we, I think we won like five one. It was when Sanchez scored a hat trick or scored a few goals from memory. Oh yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. And obviously this time around we won again. And both times I've been really disappointed with the crowd, the the home crowd, and it's very very different again to what Upton Park used to be. Like Upton Park was like vociferous is maybe the best word to descri- describing it. You know, I remember like you know the absolute hate that the home fans would be giving to. <laughs> giving to the 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 away team their players but also sometimes the, their own players like um you know West Ham have traditionally been an up and down team and kind of mid table uh previously and um anyway I'm, I'm I digress but um yeah and I just feel like the atmosphere wise atmosphere wise it's it's dropped quite a bit and I didn't really feel like you know like after the game we were we were leaving the ground we ended up you can't end up kind of mixing with the home fans because there's not really proper segregation and we were still like all the Arsenal fans were still singing all of our songs very very loud and like there were a couple of scuffles and I know we're going to get into get into that or just the experience after the game but I didn't really feel like worried that someone was going to come up to me and like smash me in the face basically which is how I used to feel going to Upton Park covering up my colors and you know, like keeping silent and my head down and just trying to get out of there as quickly as possible. So very, very different experience, very, very different atmosphere. Um, yeah, I don't know what your take was. it because Well, it's so, mate, so the way it's so interesting hearing you talk about it because me never, ha- never having been to Upton Park, right? West Ham fans do have a reputation in the UK, yeah, yeah. right? They've got a reputation. Ever since I was a kid, like, you know, getting into football, West Ham fans had a reputation of being real tough, rough crowd. Um, and... Um, and I, I think I, I mentioned it on Twitter actually in, in the only two times I've ever seen, I've ever personally witnessed racism from football fans has been West Ham fans. When I've been kind of in London on the tube and I've seen West Ham fans, I've seen two instances of racism. It's only been from West Ham fans. Obviously, that's my personal experience. I know racism happens, you know, lots of different fans. You know, it's not exclusive to West yeah, Ham yeah, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Anyway, point is the way that you describe the hostility mm you know, going to Upton Park is exactly how I imagined 
going to West Ham would be. Mm. So I'm, you know, relatively, relatively anxious coming into this game. The way that we were tanked up, though, that anxiety sort of went. Mm. But the biggest, the biggest um, example, I guess, the biggest indication I can give to back up everything that you're saying about the fact that it wasn't like that was that when we were going into the stadium, we were funneled with the home fans. Yeah, yeah. The home fans and the away fans were together in the same queue, right? That is not a normal thing, no, right? We, yeah. you know, Crystal Palace a few weeks ago, very specific away section. Mm. You go in away fans go in a very specific area. Chelsea, yeah. we were funneled. There's like a there's like a, a whole thirty security guards who are just funneling you, you. The away fans walk through there, very very segregated. This. London Derby, I know West Ham and Arsenal aren't the hugest rivals, but it's a, it's a London Derby. Yeah. We're going in together. Mm. And there was no hostility. I never felt unsafe for a second. Mm. So clearly things have changed, mate. And yes, I, you know, when I, when I was in that stadium, yeah, I was pretty disappointed with the atmosphere. I mean, it's fine. You know, you, you don't, you want, you want, you don't want it to be a hostile atmosphere because you want Arsenal to do well. But yeah, it was fairly bland. I thought. Yeah, and I think it's, again, like it's modern stadiums, right? Like we sometimes have this problem with the Emirates. Like Emirates has a reputation for being a quiet stadium. And I don't think that's necessarily fair. It can be, but I think most Premier League grounds can be for certain games. But I think I think the problem with the Olympic Stadium is number one, it obviously wasn't designed for football. It, was, you know, it never was. As you said, mm, it was, mm-hmm. it was um, designed for athletics. And I don't know if you noticed this. Uh, well, you probably would have because it was kind of obvious. But the, the, the gap, like obviously the, one issue is, and you pointed out, is pitch level, the space between the touchline and where like the dugout is, for example, is like an actual walk. Like it's probably yeah. like a 10 second walk or something. It's not, you know, right pitch side. So there's that there's that distance between the fans in the first row or the first few rows to the pitch on the long side of the pitch, if that makes sense. And then behind the goals, uh, I don't know if this is the same the whole way around the stadium. I think it's just behind the goals. There's a huge like platform i guess is the right term so as you get to the back of the um lower tier so you go up up the the rows to the back of the lower tier there's like a massive 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 distance which you can't see on tv before you then get to the upper tier so obviously at arsenal for example you've got lower tier and then it goes straight up to club level and whatever you know diamond level whatever it is and then the upper tier like it's you know so the fans are kind of on on top of you to a certain extent here the upper tier is like it's like another stadium. It's like back in Westfield, mm. it's mental. So um, that does not help with the atmosphere. We, I couldn't hear the upper tier Arsenal fans um, and I couldn't hear West Ham fans from down the other end. So at least at the Emirates, you can, but you can hear the fans behind you. You can hear the away fans down the clock end when they're singing. And this was really poor. And I think, I think it's pretty bad when you're in the stadium. I think it's a bit better when you hear it on TV, if that makes sense, because I think the mics tend to pick up a bit more of the atmosphere. And obviously, look, if West Ham are, are winning, I, I can imagine the place is bouncing and we've seen it with their Europa League games. So I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not saying this to criticise them or their fans or anything, but I think just from a stadium perspective, it's 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 kind of unfortunate because, yeah, I, I feel like up to par was just so, just so much more of an experience. And, you know, I guess, again, like that's where football's going, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, we'll, we'll get onto the game in a second. I could just probably say, recommend if anyone if anyone wants a nice day out, going to the going to the London Stadium is a nice day out. It's got fantastic. What I, I, I found really interesting, you know, the away section. Anyway, usually if you're lucky, you get one stand that serves you like a pie and a hot dog or something like that, right? Like even even at Chelsea, I think you know you you there's you get a couple of choices of beers and then there's there's um uh you know a few things to eat. 
brilliant at West Ham. You've got a popcorn stand. You've got like, you know, you've got all kinds of, you've got pizza. You've got all kinds of different, but it's really, it reminded me of going to uh, the New York Yankees. It was that kind of yeah. Yeah, variety. Anyway, to football, actually, maybe the reason we've been going on so much about, about um, you know, maybe the reason why we've delayed getting onto the game is because the game was very forgettable. Yeah. It, was, it was actually a pretty boring, a pretty boring game um, where Arsenal sort of, Arsenal went in with a, with a, a pretty encouraging lineup because, you know, everyone's been waiting for Tommy Asi to come back. He started. We talked before the game about whether he'd start or not. We weren't really sure, but he did. He started. Um, and uh, and the surprise was Ben White seemingly picking up an injury uh, before the game and, and Rob Holding starting. And probably the only other thing to note was Martinelli getting back in the side and the SR being on the bench. Um, firstly, awesome to have Tommy back, wasn't it? Yeah, great news. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think we yeah we were we were debating this right. I think you said you didn't think he'd start. Um, no, I, I didn't. I thought, no. I thought he would. And yeah, like you say, look, very very happy. Um, big big uh, difference in terms of quality between him and Cedric, obviously. Um, so yeah, he's he's a he's a massive uh, player to have for the run in. And I know he came off a bit early. Um, and hopefully that's just like precaution or whatever or lack of match fitness. But um, yeah, like obviously again, like pretty happy with the lineup um, and Ketia, you know, leading the line again, um, which, which, you know, completely deserves that the chances he's getting at the moment or the, the, the starts that he's getting at the moment. Um, Elneny again starts makes complete sense. So yeah, he's playing players on form, which is nice to see, or the players that are in form he's, he's starting, which is nice to see. I was a little bit concerned, you know, when, when, you know, we've talked about it before, right? Like, um, you know, we've lost Tierney, we've lost Partey. If we lose another senior player, how's that going to kind of affect us? And, you know, when you see Ben White unexpectedly isn't starting the game and you're breaking up that defensive partnership, Gabriel and White, obviously there's a, there's a concern, but and I know we're going to come on to talking about Rob Holding, but um, yeah, yeah, I mean, let, let, we can either talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let me get a deep dive on Rob Holding as well as Eddie um, in a bit. Mm. Um, why was it wise that you didn't... Well... So what I was going to say is, you know, why was it that you, you didn't necessarily think that we played well, but maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. I didn't really think that we played well. And um, I didn't think West Ham played that well either. I mean, you, you know, we ended up scoring the first goal. But up until that point, why why do you think we we're a little bit disjointed, a little bit lacking in fluency? Well, why do you think that was? It's, 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 it's really weird in terms of this team is... <sighs> I don't know how to put it. This team is just like, obviously the results have been really unpredictable. And I feel like that, that kind of ties into the performances just being quite unpredictable. I'm honestly not sure. Like it was very sloppy, wasn't it? It was really sloppy at times. I feel like there were like even players like, or I say even players like Xhaka, I was going to say you know, senior players like Xhaka were, were misplacing really easy passes. Tavares seems to struggle quite a lot. So I'm not sure if it was down to kind of individuals being a, is it nerves because we're getting to that kind of crunch end of the season? Is it because Spurs have just won and they the guy you know the team obviously know that and the pressure's on us now to deliver a result? Um, is it they saw the West Ham lineup and we were all surprised about ask, yeah, yeah we were all surprised think, about the West Ham lineup and they were expecting uh, a much much weaker team like we were expecting a much much weaker team so I was really surprised mm. to see like Rice and Bowen and whoever else starting. Um, so I honestly. I honestly don't know. I just, I'm not sure. I don't know. Have you, have you got any thoughts as to why? Or? No, I think it's a mixture of everything that you said. I mean, I, 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 I genuinely think it was a mixture of all those things. I think, I think that we would have thought that they were just going to play their second string a bit like Leicester played their second string against Tottenham. I think we just thought, you know, they're going to play their second string. 
they didn't really. They arrested Antonio. They arrested a couple of players. Suchek didn't start, did he? Um, but no. Otherwise, they, they they played a they played a really strong team. So that would have been a little bit off putting. Um, uh, and 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 also, it's just that Tottenham won, and I think there is that extra little bit of pressure. Um, you know, Arteta. You know, after the game, he sort of said that you know it really wasn't a performance that he's that happy about, but it was about winning ugly, and, and we did. Well, let, let's talk a bit about. Um, not necessarily goals individually. They're both set pieces. So let's just talk about set pieces again. It's, a, it's 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 crazy, isn't it? So I can't, so I've read two slightly conflicting numbers. Um, so just talking about defensively for a second. This is another game where we have not conceded defensively. And depending which number you know you believe, it's something between the region of 155 and 180 corners that have gone before we've uh, that we have not conceded from this season right yeah. so so, th- so i don't know if it's this season oh, okay. or that number because that's that's quite a big number i think that might even carry on till last but basically it's been around 150 to 180 corners that have been taken since the last goal against us which well i think i think so statistically i think we are by far statistically we are by far the best side sorry here's the difference it wasn't corners it was set pieces okay. um so statistically we are by far the strongest side at defending set pieces, right? That's what the stats say, um, which is awesome. We also seem to score a high proportion of goals. So we scored 15 this season. Liverpool have scored 16 and, and, and City have scored 16 as well. But obviously we've scored a smaller amount of total goals. So I think I think 15 out of 54 have come from set pieces. Um, so the, the proportion's pretty high. And both goals today... You know, sorry, both both goals against West Ham. First was directly, you know, from a corner. The other one it was the second phase of play from a corner. Um, with both our goals, just I mean, Yova Nicholas Yova, right, is his name. I th- I'm pretty sure it's Nicholas's first name. Um, signed from Man City. We've spoken about this a little bit briefly, but we've got to give him another shout out, isn't it? Because this is remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable to have a defensive stat like that, but also be really good offensively. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Some good stats there, man. I'm impressed. Came prepared. <laughs> Twitter. Uh, Twitter. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, look, I, yeah, completely echo what you said. Um, it's, it's not, yeah, it's not, it's nice to see, like, this, we, I guess we're not really used to this kind of thing as Arsenal fans, right? Like you don't tend to see that kind of, um, you know, in terms of training ground work, work's not the right word, but you know, these kinds of, the, the, these kinds of, um, they're probably running basically loads of drills and, repeating various situations in terms of defensively offensively from set pieces and corners and obviously as the stats show as the goal show uh yesterday that's clearly paying off and yeah like you say full credit to to the set piece coach and i think it's also like we i've mentioned this before i think we've talked about this before i think it's also uh partly down to or maybe a, a big part of it is down to the fact that we have very good players able to you know, in terms of offensively, we've got very good players that um, are able to deliver. Like if you look at Saka's cross yesterday, for example, for the first one, it's just a very, very good cross. And I feel like, you know, when ESR's in the team and he was taking corners, um, you know, they, they're they not just floating them in. They're not just kind of hitting it in and hoping for the best. I feel like they're either trying to target someone or they're putting it in a very, very dangerous area yeah. at speed. You know, they're like whipping the ball in at speed. Um, and that's just that's just down to having really good kind of technical forward players. You know, you've got Erdegaard who can deliver. You've got um, Martinelli, Saka, Smith Rowe. So um, I think that helps massively. And I think um, you know we've now got it, when you look at um, defensively, uh, and especially when you think the holding started. You know, you know if you look at 
who we've got kind of defending um you know the ball aerially you've got rob holding who is basically probably the perfect kind of player you'd want in that that situation um in terms of getting his head on the ball um and getting it clear you've got granite Xhaka who loves to win a header you've got gabriel who loves to dominate in the air you've got tommy asu back who again is yeah similar you've got ramsdale who's a pretty kind of aggressive keeper he likes to come for come for stuff and tries to claim and tries to punch and tries to clear so you know um and normally you'd probably have like a thomas Partey in there as well who's also a big a big guy so um yeah, I think I think that it helps like the personnel that we've got uh, massively, um, and yeah, like they. I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know. Do you, do you think that they like on the training ground they like talk about this in terms of like, like the stats you've just said? Like, do you think they? I think they're so proud. Yeah, I think I, I, think I, so I genuinely well, yeah. think it's a thing. Yeah, I genuinely think it's a thing now. You know where something it sounds silly, but you know where something becomes a thing, mm. and you kind of go, "We are genuinely good at this." Yeah. Then you become so proud about it, and it becomes a big kind of thing like where you know i think that it goes back to something that i think aaron ramsdale said a while ago in an interview um it feels like they just love trying to keep clean sheets right they love defending right they love that Mm. and um i think the attention to detail is so significant because if we just flip to the offensive side as well right they're analyzing rob holding's goal um i don't know if you saw this analysis on sky but it was really really interesting because they sort of went into a very very kind of um large degree of detail but they sort of looked and they said, well, West Ham do sort of zonal marking and they've got two pretty big players that are effectively standing in the kind of the, the, the five yard area. Um, and, and Eddie and another one of our players are both clearly specifically, they've clearly been told, stop those two players, okay. right? Don't let them come out, right? And Eddie has got a much taller guy than than he can deal with. But even the technique that Eddie is using to stop him mm-hmm. means that te- Eddie's size, it, it's it's kind of irrelevant. He's still able to stop him. Right. And, so, and then when the ball's put in, it's put into a zone where that guy has to get mm-hmm. and he's not able to get there and holding his you know, he's timed his jump and he's, he's just kind of guided it into the corner. It's a great header, but it was, it was a really, really good header. But the detail there, right, is like so specific. And then, and, and that's, I love that. Yeah. I love seeing shit like that. I didn't, so I haven't seen that analysis, but yeah, I need to have, I need to check that out. But that's, yeah, that's really interesting. And obviously, yeah, that's, um, you know, completely, it sounds like it's completely planned. It's, um, you know, they've obviously done the analysis on how West Ham set up for defense, defensively from corners or from set pieces. So yeah, like you say, that's, that. It, I, I love that as well. And um I think the other thing about the goal, the, the first goal, just really quickly, what I, what I really like, and you've probably seen it on the replays, what I really like is holding, it's Lanzini marking holding, right? And obviously that's a massive mismatch. And you see them kind of both like grapple a little bit. And as the corner comes in, Lanzini's sort of trying to obviously stop holding. And then holding almost just like, it's like for a split second, he just like, it's like, what the motherfuck, like, what are you doing? And he just like literally shoves <laughs> him. He just like, just shoves him out the way and just says, get off me. And then he just goes and wins the header. He's just, yeah, just completely bosses the situation, which, which I absolutely love. It's interesting because I don't know whether the reason why that was such a mismatch is that, well, well, I think that there's one genuine reason, which is that it seemed like because of the changes at West Ham, you know, the, some of the players that didn't play for West Ham, it was a smaller kind of overall populace that they kind of had in their team. But I wonder if, the reason why they were comfortable to put Lanzini against holding is because they relied mm. on the zonal system where those two other players would come out and probably dominate if it was in that area. So anyway, whatever the case, it's great. And the other thing about the set pieces and the way that we've been scoring set piece goals, I think there's a few that, that, that we've scored like this is that second phase. Um, and I think it, it really goes unnoticed that that second phase is something that, that quite clearly the top teams really, really practice 
the knowledge that you know when the ball comes out mm. there are very specific places that players still need to be and what i like about our second goal was actually that that second phase like it felt like gabriel was so switched on to know that hang on the ball can be delivered in this area Absolutely. and like and, and and his movement was really good so um so that was that was that was really that was really cool i got my something you know moving on from the the goals themselves um want to talk about a couple of the individual performances rob holding right so uh, you know emergency rob holding protocol's been the thing this season we've talked about it he's so reliable you bring him on when you're winning the game to shut it out you bring him on he did you know played against chelsea started against mm-hmm. chelsea yeah. uh defensively we were a bit funny that day um whatever we won so it's all good again he started he started and um he started against west ham and he won man of the match mm-hmm. uh what did you think yeah, man. I mean, uh, very, very solid again. Um, yeah, he seems to be the ideal kind. Like in a game like we had yesterday, where West Ham, sorry, are obviously so good generally from set pieces, aerially. Um, you know, they've got big physical players. I guess a couple of them probably didn't start in terms of Antonio and uh, Suchek. Um, Suchek didn't start, did he? No, he didn't. No, no, I don't think he started. started. I think yeah. he came no, on like started, later yeah. on. When they were- um, so yeah, so so he's he's. I guess the 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 playing against West Ham is probably the ideal kind of match for him to come into. Um, but yeah, like I think I saw some stats, and I'm not going to pretend like I remember them, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he was like obviously he was mad at the match, but um, you know, in terms of uh, clearances, you know, um, uh, blocks, uh, I think he was either first or up there um for uh, for the match and yeah like i i mean i i can't think of any mistakes he made he had a fantastic game and you know we all know that rob holding is not um or shouldn't be the answer in terms of uh a starting center back for arsenal for 38 premier league games but at the same time he's probably it's quite similar to on any in in a way as a squad player where you bring him in you know what you're going to get He's kind of experienced enough now where, and he's probably at an age now where you can just kind of rely on him and depend on him. Um, and and yeah, like I think we're quite lucky that we've got someone like him in the squad, um, to be completely honest. And I, I would like to think that, you know, this is a separate conversation in terms of squad management and transfer window um, and next season. But, you know, I'd be very, very keen to keep someone like him in the squad again, an English player. It seems like he... Um, you know, gets along with everyone, all of that kind of stuff. Like, you know, he helps with the morale and everything. And um, I, I, and yeah, like, like it's fantastic that we've got got him as an option. Really, I, I thought he had a, he had an outstanding game. We talked about how we talked in the past about how if we are gonna if we were gonna be able to do anything towards the back end of the season anyway, it was gonna be a squad effort, right? It, it was gonna be a case where players who were on the fringe were, when they were brought in would have to step up. We've really seen that, haven't we? We've really seen Holding step up, well, Elneny step up, now Eddie step up. I mean, arguably Eddie is now now a starter. But yeah, you know, it's been so important. I mean, Cedric, sorry, you know, beforehand, even Cedric coming in and, and, and stepping up. It's been it's been a great feature. And Rob Holding, this is the his first Premier League goal, apparently. You know, this is the first first Premier League goal for Arsenal. Amazing. And Aaron Ramsdale made that funny, funny joke, is it? Only six years in a new hairline. That's yeah, all he needed. Um <laughs> So uh, it's great. Look, it's great to see that kind of banter in the team. It's great to see that kind of bond as well, right? Like, and um, yeah, it was, I was just really happy for for Rob. And I think you're right. It was an ideal source of game for him. If we're playing against a team that were a lot more mobile, nifty, and had a few more tricks up their sleeve um, and had some trickier maybe centre forwards, 
maybe it would have been a different uh, a different game, but it wasn't, and and he did well, and and we won. Mm. And um, look, someone else who you know really wanted a deep dive on Eddie. So Eddie, you know, Eddie comes into the team against uh, against uh, Southampton. That was his kind of start. We we do quite we, we create loads of chances, but he doesn't score. We lose. Chelsea, you know, he starts, scores a couple of goals. Man United, I didn't think he played as well as he played against Chelsea, but he still showed us the benefits of having this mobile striker and he was still a, you know, he was still still tricky. I mean, against West Ham, it was it was a pretty, if you ask most people who was man of the match, they may have said Holding, they may have also said Eddie. Yeah. I mean, it was, a, I thought it was a very, very, it was a very good performance from Eddie. It was a bit different to some of his other performances. I thought he was, he was really... He was really direct. I felt a lot of the time. I think he was picking up the ball from deep and not just doing what you mentioned it. Actually, you know, you mentioned during the game. I remember you saying that he's playing sort of the lacquer role because he was coming so much deeper um, and sort of bringing others into play. But what he was doing, I felt more than you know what what we've seen of lacquer in that role is when he was getting that ball, he wasn't afraid to just go look head towards goal and just run mm. and run and then shoot and. Now I think why you know when some of those times you're shooting from 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 kind of angles or, or distances where you're probably not going to score, but what you know on reflection it's so useful, right? Because he's shooting, he's he's generally getting a good shot on. A couple of those times we won a corner, yeah. and one of those corners we scored a goal. Yeah. So if corners are our threat, you know you want to win corners, yeah. and like you know he's being direct, and he's doing it anyway. Eddie, or, <laughs> overall, tell me what what do you think about his, about his performance? Yeah. Um... So yeah, I thought I feel like he was quite unlucky to not get a goal. There were a couple of actually really, really good shots, um, and uh, there weren't even really chances, but shots from distance. That um, one that went just past the post, um, one that Fabianski tipped round the post, one or two that he tipped round the post. So I feel like, and even in the last game against United, um, similar. You know, obviously the the goal that he, the, the one he put in the net um, ended up being becoming the penalty because uh, they pulled it back and one that he probably should have scored scored which De Gea saved so like it's great that he's kind of getting into positions in the box position, positions outside of the box where he's having the opportunity or creating the opportunity to take a shot the thing I really love about Eddie is yeah I mean let's be honest I don't, I don't even remember pointing that out to you during the game because um, yeah I don't remember much <laughs> I don't remember everything <laughs> everything from the game but um, I mean watching some of the highlights and watching the game back um, you know and, and it's an obvious thing to say but just having a striker that is willing to run in behind and obviously has the pace to kind of play the offside trap and play on the last defender like perfect example is um you know the one the the, the ball that El Nenny plays through so i think we win possession back from a, a corner or set piece El Nenny comes out with the ball and you see the run that he makes it was very i was going to say Michael Owen um and i'm not comparing him to Michael Owen but if you know if you you probably know what i mean because when you think of Michael Owen you think of the goal against Argentina for England right and it was that kind of run where he seemed to i think he bends his run times it perfectly and the ball in is 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 amazing you know it's a very very good ball from El, El Nenny and um you know, I think that one is he's unlucky, but um, that is such an important kind of threat to have from your striker, from your number nine. Um, and obviously he's offering that to us at the moment. And I guess, you know, the thing that it shows, um, the thing that it shows for this team in the next few seasons, or I guess the thing that it shows that we're lacking, unless Eddie kind of steps up massively in the next few games and kind of um, almost makes himself unsellable or we have to tie him down to a new contract. The thing that it shows is, yeah, what we've been saying, right? What a top level number nine 
striker gives us um, if that's the way we're going to play. And if, if it's kind of like we want an Eddie type player, but just a, basically a much, much better version of him. Um, and the other thing that I really, really love about him is, and he did it against Chelsea when Christensen, Christensen um, you know, made that really bad back pass. He's just on it. Like he's just alert. He's on it. He's always trying to press. He's trying to hurry the centre-backs um, or the defenders. And, you know, he's always ready to pounce on a mistake. He did it again when I think Kufal makes a really bad back pass. You know, he's just on it. He's quicker to the ball than Zuma. And in that scenario, I don't know if you remember it, but um, he cuts back inside and tries to hit it on his right. And I don't know if that's like a lack of confidence on his left, but I did feel like he had the beating of Zuma on the outside and then he probably should have gone on the outside and then hit a shot with his left, but maybe he's just more comfortable on his right. But yeah, again, like that's like a really good trait to have. And it wasn't something that we were seeing when Eddie was coming on for like 10 minutes in previous matches this season. So, you know, is that, I don't know. Do you, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that, actually, if you, if you reckon that's because he knows he's kind of playing for his future in terms of, other clubs are going to be watching him and thinking, is it worth, you know, taking him on a free with a probably a fairly big-ish contract? Um, or he's trying to convince Arteta to, you know, and, the, and, and Arsenal to give him more money. But it feels like, obviously, since he's been starting, his performances have, have gone up a notch. But yeah. is that because he's always had that in him and he's just not been trying um, as much when he's been coming off the bench? Or is there another reason for it? Or we just haven't seen it's it? It's tough, isn't it? Because when he wasn't, when he was coming off the bench... And he and he wasn't putting in the performances that we necessarily thought he 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 should. And and actually, you know, part of that we were we were talking about effort. We felt that he necessarily wasn't actually putting in so a I, huge I, amount of effort. I think I think I know. Yeah, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. I I, I feel like yeah. I I didn't think it was as bad as people made out. I think the problem is that we were bringing him on, expecting him to kind of save the day, kind of like yeah. ten years ago when we were bringing on, I don't know, like Bentner or. I don't know, I'm trying to think of names like Eduardo or whoever we might have. Yeah. And it was like these guys, you know, and, and I guess I said it before, I think it, I think it can be quite hard for a striker to come on and have an impact when they're only getting yeah. five, 10, 15 minutes here and there. But I remember, I, I, yeah, sorry, carry on. Yeah. But there was an effort thing, wasn't it? Because I, I actually remember once, again, you correctly called this out and you probably won't remember it, was once when Lacazette was starting mm. and we took off Lacazette after, I don't know, about 75, 80 minutes and brought Eddie on. And I remember you you messaged in the WhatsApp group and said, you know, Eddie's come on for the like 30-year-old and he's arguably run around less. He said like, you know, where's that? I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, but that was spot on, I felt at that time, yeah. right? Where there was a question about effort. Do you remember we were theorizing around that time as to why this could be? And there were all kinds of theories that, you know, we were suggesting, is it because he already has another move lined up and he knows where he's going and that's, that's all done and dusted? Yeah. You know, is it because he's really... He's really demotivated and he's just kind of got his hot headset on getting to the end of the season and getting out of here. We're theorizing in all kinds of ways. And now, it, you know, we're theorizing in completely different ways or, or the same ways, but for different reasons. As in, you know, it's we're now trying to understand what has caused such kind of upbeat, um, you know, energized, focused performances. And maybe it is like what, what you suggest. Maybe it is actually just a case where we're starting him. And all he said sort of, you know, seemingly all he's been saying all along is, I want to start games and he's start games and he needs to get a run. And then, you know, then I'll show you what I can do. And maybe he, maybe he just kind of said, all right, well, actually I am being started now mm. and now I'm being started. Oh, I really, really have to bloody show something. Um, it's, I don't know if it's as simple as that, but what, but you know, I think the, the interesting thing, the really interesting thing for me is, does he, is he clear on what he wants to do in the summer? You know, d- irrespective of this new wave of effort and why it's come or whatever, is it, you know, is, is, has he made his mind up? I would love at this point, I would love to think that he hasn't actually made his mind up and, 
and it is on the table. And I hope we're being clear with him because I still don't, you know, again, I think there's a longer conversation. I still don't believe that Eddie's the answer. I don't think any of us are saying necessarily Eddie is the answer. We don't need to go sign another striker. But I think in the way that he's playing at the moment, he certainly is someone who can, you know, add quality to our squad, to a to a kind of to a squad which is enhanced by, you know, with 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 more firepower. He's still someone who can add a lot of value to that squad. And so I sort of hope that the decision hasn't really been made either way. And and you know, it does sound like we've had a contract on the table for him and and you know, I guess we'll have to see how that plays out, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, mate. I, I don't think I don't think his future's been decided yet. I don't think he knows exactly what's going to. I'm sure he's got offers on the table. Um, it, it kind of sounds like, obviously, the main priority for him is is starts. He wants to start games. He's not 18 right anymore. Um, he's at an age where, I mean, to be fair, he's still quite young for a Premier League striker. Um, he's not at his peak yet. So, you know, but I, I don't know, maybe he's waiting to see what happens with us and who we sign. But again, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm not really sure exactly what the situation is. Obviously, no, no one really knows. But um, yeah, like I'm sure he's got offers on the table, but he must be looking at it and thinking, I could potentially be playing for Arsenal in the Champions League next season, potentially, yeah. um, as a second striker on pro- probably decent money um, uh, with a view to you know, maybe winning some trophies in the next few years, whatever, um, kind of finishing in the top four. Not sure what's going to happen with us, obviously. Or I go to a, I don't know, like a Villa or a Crystal Palace or a West Ham. And no, just no disrespect to those sorts of teams, but I can imagine that's the level of team that's probably going to be going after him. Um, and maybe starting for them every week, but probably, you know, like, you know, my career is probably in terms of level uh, is obviously going to drop off quite a bit. So, um, yeah, it will be really interesting. I mean, yeah, that's a whole whole conversation, right, about our Oh, conversation. Yeah. Agreed. Listen, like before I wrap up on on the actual football of the game itself, like do you want to you know talk about something that we've talked about again, like over the last you know few weeks, and it seems to be a feature, which is some of that nervousness that seems to be creeping in at the moment. Mm. Obviously, there's a lot to play for. There's a hell of a lot to play for. There's there's Champions League football to play for, and and it's a great opportunity. And we've come through a few games, which I don't think, you know, I don't think many people expected us to beat Chelsea and beat United, you know, kind of together. And, you know, you know, Chelsea as an individual game was probably the, the, the tougher game, of course, to to predict that we would win. But um, I guess the point is, we, we've, we, we've talked, we've used the word hairy before, you know, we're having a lot of hairy moments in games. Um and we've said throughout the season, actually, not just limited to the last few few games, we've said that we seem quite vulnerable after we score. We seem to sort of take the, the foot off the gas somewhat. We seem to go in our shell. And at first, I think we questioned, is it Arteta? Does he tell them to kind of defend? Like, what is it? But, but seemingly kind of, you know, when people have seemed to analyze Arteta's body language after we, we score, it seems like he's not the one telling them to, you know, kind of retreat and kind of go into their shell. But anyway, I guess, sorry, point, you know, very long-winded way of saying it was sort of similar, wasn't it, against against West Ham. We got nervous. We got sort of really nervous after we went 1-0 up and really sort of allowed them back into the game. And I think it was probably an avoidable goal in, in the end. Like, it looks like a fantastic finish from Bowen. Um, it, it's a little bit unlucky because, it, it unlucky on our part, because it, it deflects off Gabriel mm. and kind of takes it away from Ramsdale if it didn't deflect on of Gabriel, it might Ramsdale may have saved it, but didn't. But let's just talk about the nerves element of it. 
Mate, is that just going to be a feature for the rest of the season? Is that just something that we have to accept? Yeah, look, I mean, look, we keep saying how young this team is. Everyone knows how young this team is, how young the manager is in, in experience. And I guess you're going to have to, you're probably going to have to accept that there are going to be like, yeah, hairy moments. Um, the goal, just quickly touching on it, it was a bit disappointing because I think West Ham had just almost scored before that from a corner where Ramsdale makes a save Ramsdale just save, under the yeah. bar. Or, yeah. Um, so obviously it was coming, right? Like, yeah, we did seem to retreat a little bit. Um, and it's and it was, you know, the goal itself, the time we conceded was absolutely awful. We were saying it like the three of us were saying it like just, just go in at halftime 1-0. And, you know, it happened against Chelsea, almost happened against United, to be fair. We're, you know, 2-1 up and we, we were like, luckily... Um, What's his face? Fernandez, yeah, yeah, missed that penalty. Um, so obviously, look, that it 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 could potentially be down to the kind of inexperienced nature of the team. It could just be down to the fact that we're not an elite team yet, and we don't know how to. Um, I don't want to say see out a game, but get the second, and then kind of almost give ourselves a bit of, a bit of a cushion. Um, I'm not really sure. Um, and I had a point in my head which has now completely deserted me, but. Uh, <laughs> I was going to, yeah, I was going to make a point about the goal actually. So yeah. So the, 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 the West Ham equaliser. Yeah. It was a bit disappointing because yeah, go on. Yeah. Well, I was going to just, I don't know if describing the goal was going to help you trigger the moment, but you know, there's that ball that's kind of played over from Declan Rice. Um, and it, it sort of played out wide, slightly diagonal ball. It's a bit, so not much was made about it at the time, but there are certain angles and there's yeah, certain kind of you know points where you think I don't know if that was offside, um, but you know it wasn't it wasn't explored during the game. You didn't you see whether Arsenal even bothered you know appealing in any way. So anyway, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was fine. Maybe it was so marginal, whatever. Um, and then and then you know then the ball comes kind comes in into the box. But do you, um, do you not do you not sorry to talk, do you not think Tavares should? So this is what I was going to say. I think. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm not I'm not necessarily blaming him. I'm not I'm not singling him out. But I just feel like. Um, I have this frustration in general when I watch any type of football. Like, why, as a left back, as a right back, as a fullback, are you not closing down the ball as fast as you possibly can? And even when Tavares does close the ball down, I think it's um, Kufal who gets it uh, wide. You know, he just turns like he. I think Kufal it doesn't even cross it. It's that kind of drilled pass to Bowen, and Tavares. You know, he stands off in the first instance. Then when he closes him down, he then turns his back. So as he turns yeah. his head, like he doesn't even look to see where the pass is going. So it's really frustrating. He does that typical thing where they put their hands behind the back and he turns his head. And it's kind of like, you're not even like, you know, you're not trying your absolute hardest to, to just make sure the ball does not get into the box. And like, you hear like old school, like I'm probably sure like if Gary Neville was going to talk about, you know, one of the, one of the main things he tried to do, like Gary Neville is a kind of like an example right back for an elite team back in the nineties, whatever. It'll be like, you stop, the ball at source, like you just stop the cross coming in as much as you can. And I feel like, I don't know if he's worried about getting beaten by Kufal and, and, and whatever, but yeah, that was a bit disappointing. And I, and I also feel like um, Bowen had quite a bit of time as well. Like I feel like Gabriel, yeah. if he steps out like just a yard, there's, he's just got less space to do what he does. Cause it feels like he's got quite a bit of time to like get that shot away. Um, and yeah, look, deflection or whatever, fine. But yeah, I just feel like defensively we could have been a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more switched on. It was a bit, bit frustrating. Tavares, it's an interesting kind of diagnosis to, to understand why why is that he kind of tends to switch off a lot. Now, like I, I, I don't know whether it's... So I heard this on 
I'm stealing this stat from Arsenal Vision, actually. I'm pretty sure it was Arsenal Vision. It was one of the other pods. I'm stealing it because I think it was a really, really eye-opener, really big eye-opener, which is that we know that Tavares is young, but I think one of the things that's underappreciated is how few minutes in professional football he's actually played, right? right? So basically the stat is Nuno Tavares has fewer professional minutes. So, you know, not just at Arsenal, including Benfica. Mm. He has fewer professional minutes than Saka has minutes this season. No way. Yeah. Wow. So, that, do you know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. that's so that's pretty... Together, a, yeah. profesh- as a professional footballer, he's had fewer minutes than Saka this season. So, I don't know if some of it has just got to do with that, mm. with experience at this level, for knowing that you've got to do all these basic things right all the time. And I know like it sounds silly and it sounds when you say it out loud, it sounds so obvious, but I wonder, you know, whether when, when you're playing and when you're on the pitch, there's an element where players know that, you know, you, you're going to need to, you're going to need to get your energy back. Sometimes you're going to need to get your concentration back sometimes. And you need to kind of let, you know, let, not, not switch off, but rest, you know? And I don't know whether it's just a case where with Tavares, he just needs to figure out, like smarter ways of doing that um, and just be more kind of focused and switched on and just do some things habitually better. Um, maybe that's it. Maybe that habitually he hasn't got the right things in place yet. Um, but I, th- I think the interesting thing guys, for me is that in the standards that Arteta is setting this squad and what he wants to achieve, how patient will he be with that? And you know, we we've seen we're playing if we play in the if we play in the Champions League next season, if we play in the Champions League next season, you know, he probably he'll probably think that, well, you know, with Tierney's with Tierney's injury kind of, you know, he'll probably have to rely on whoever is the backup left back to play a fair few games. Yep. Is he gonna want to bring someone else in who is more defensively solid? Oh, I think he will. I think he has to. Like I think especially, yeah, if we get Champions League, I think if Europa League, you might be able to cope, but Basically, what we've learned over the last few seasons is Tierney, unfortunately and annoyingly, um, we can't rely on him for 50 games a season. So you basically have to sign a second first choice left back, I think. Um, What that means for Tavares, I don't know. I I really like him. I really like him. And I think going forward, he's just got this like, I don't give a shit. Like, I'm just going to run with the ball and I'm going to, you know, and he's and he's got that that attacking side of him is is really exciting. But obviously defensively, yeah, maybe it's just an age and inexperienced thing. And like the stats clearly show that he's very inexperienced in terms of kind of top level first team football. Um, but yeah, I think I think for next season, y- you, you might need to. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not thinking of any names. I'm going to suggest any names. But I think um, you probably we, we must be looking at options because you we can't rely on Tierney at the moment or definitely not for a yeah. full season. It seems like in the press, we're being linked with Bologna's uh, fullback. I've forgotten his, his name, uh, but he plays left and right back. And it seems like, Yassi, he, I think he's, <laughs> no, 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 no. I think it's like, it's like Tommy Yassi Mark two, yeah. but someone who's predominantly a left back. So, Hey, look, look, we'll, we'll see. I will obviously talk a lot more about squad building in the future. And so look, anyway, whatever the case, Scrappy game. Arteta said it was ugly. Um, it was clearly a game, which I think he said, he said he, he very, he very sort of succinctly put it where he effectively said you need sustainable ways of winning games this wasn't a sustainable you know we didn't play in a sustainable way and and that was it was you know good for him to admit it because that is the case you, you we won't keep winning games if we play like that but we did 
whatever. Four games left. It's all about the points. So look, before I um before we get on to looking forward to uh, next weekend, um, yeah, just just wrapping up on the match day experience, right? Again, um, after the game, like you mentioned, that there was probably more uh, awareness from the police and more efforts from the police to kind of be aware of um kind of fans sort of coming together uh but but still it was a case where there was no real strict segregation mm. um we came out of the stadium arsenal with you know the fans we were you know the atmosphere was brilliant you know we we just won again there were flares being let off like the songs are going arteta's um you know arteta's getting back us, us back in the champions league that song's going um we didn't hear we didn't hear the song that everyone has been hope well talking on social media that they wanted us to yeah. to, to start that song, "The Angel," um, by uh, by by Louis and I forget his surname. Oh, I don't know, mate. But Dunford, sure. Dunford. I'm pretty sure it's Dunford. Yeah, um, Louis or Lewis. I pr- apologize if I'm not. Which is but yeah. But anyway, that I heard at some point late in the second half, really late in the second half. Okay. I heard a couple of people try and sing it. But I didn't really. I heard it. I heard it in the toilets before the game and at halftime. And it, a few people sung it, but yeah, it didn't really. It didn't really catch on. Uh, I guess a lot of people just don't know about it yet. Like on Twitter, hearing on on Twitter is one thing, but I don't know what percentage of Arsenal fans are on Twitter. Probably a lot, but match gang fans, not sure. Yeah, and to sing a new song, yeah, exactly. And that's a, it's got more words, you know, than um than than songs that you can sing that we drop because obviously a, yeah. a a song that did get sung, yeah. which has all of one word. Yellows, yellows, yellows. I was going to ask you. Yeah, I was going. I was going to ask you a question about that 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 song. Then, so do you what, like? Are you? A, what do you reckon? And just really quickly, are you a fan of it? The um... let me let me. I'll, I'll split that up into like. I'll answer that in two ways. One, I've always for, forever been jealous of Liverpool for having you. You'll never walk alone. Yeah? yeah. So the notion of having a song that you can sing at the beginning of the games that is epic and cool and whatever. And Arsenal, you know, it felt like we tried to do that about ten ish ten years ago when we were well five to ten years ago when we were trying to do the Wonder of You by Elvis. That was you know um, didn't really work. No one really gave a shit, and and they got rid of the song. But um, so in that way, I'm all for the idea of something like that creeping in. I think, you know, not not the jury's out. It seems like a nice song. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think that we need to hear it being sung a few times before you kind of go, actually, this this is... Mm. You know, this is going to, this is going to bang. This is going to, this is it. This is, we can really feel the emotion. Everyone's getting into it. You know, really, really feel that. So I'd love, I'd love for it to work. Put it that way. What about you? Yeah, pretty much the same. Like the first time I heard it, I thought this is a, you know, no, no disrespect to the actual song or the artist or anything. But I thought from an, from an Arsenal kind of perspective as an anthem, I thought this is a little bit slow. It's not, you know, it's not at you'll never walk alone kind of levels. And obviously the Twitter kind of, um, you know, it, it, it did the rounds on Twitter and obviously got a lot of uh, a lot of attention and uh, people started pushing it a bit more. And then I listened to it a few more times and started to like it. The more and more I listened to it, then people were adapting the lyrics slightly, especially the last couple of um, last couple of lines, adding like Arsenal in there. So yeah, I, I'm pretty much the same with you. Look, if it, I'd, I'd be really, really happy if it if it if it catches on and um, yeah, ho- hopefully it does because we don't have a song like that, right? We don't have a have a have an equivalent uh, of of what Liverpool have. So yeah. It'll be good for Champions League next season, won't it? <laughs> well, fingers crossed. And look, I want to spend at least five to ten minutes talking about, um, you know, next game, Champions League, all that kind of stuff. So very, very quickly, yeah. just to wrap it up, you know, the the atmosphere at the end of the game, the walk, the walk home, that that showed shades a little sh- shades of of what you kind of were reminiscing yeah. about Upton Park, didn't yeah. it? There was a few scuffles here and there. There was the police horses and um, 
and uh, trying to tell people to move and get out of the way and all the rest of it. Did that, did that, that make you feel part of the old West Ham experience? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it was, it was pretty minor to be honest, but yeah, I mean, look, the thing I'll credit Arsenal fans is when we, we did it because obviously, again, we could talk about this for a while, right? But the, the police direct you like literally very, very far away from the stadium. You have to go some long ass route to get back to where you want to go, which is basically everyone's going to Westfield because the food places are there, the pubs are there, the the train stations there, the tube, the tube stations there. We're getting back into Westfield, and we kind of funnel in. We funnel into this, um, you know, going in basically back into West. Yeah, basically back into Westfield, and at that point for some reason whatever reason all the arsenal fans that were mixed it was pretty much 50 50 west ham and arsenal probably more west ham obviously arsenal fans just like go full on with the arteta song um and uh it was really really nice to see then we walk into westfield and there's like complete silence like silence yeah, yeah you don't want to be identified, uh, no, yeah. Want to be identified. so yeah that no, was it was it was a good day it was a good day yeah, man. And let's look forward. Let's hope we're going to have a few more good days. It's a really interesting weekend for us coming up, right? It is It is a weekend where, look, every every in the, in the four games that are left, obviously every like, weekend, every match kind of match day is going to be huge. And um, this one is one that could really, really kind of, you know, yeah. tell us a lot about what's going to happen because we've got Leeds at home and Spurs again, Liverpool. Yeah. Now, what's brilliant for us is that Liverpool have got a lot to still play for. They still want to win the league. They're still going to be pumped. And a pumped Liverpool is someone that is a team that, you know, is there anyone harder to deal with in the world mm. than Liverpool at Anfield pumped? I don't know, right? So that, that that's what that's what's going for us. The slightly kind of annoying thing for us is, you know, we are, as we talked about, a little bit nervous. We're a bit nervy. We're playing a Leeds team who are really in a relegation battle, right? They're getting dragged down, Everton winning, like there's all, you know, Everton beating Chelsea means that, you know, there's all these question marks as to who will actually go down. It's very unclear. So Leeds don't want to get dragged into that. So, you know, it's a nervy, nervy potential Arsenal against, against Leeds and, and, and then, you know, Spurs against Liverpool. Now, before I ask you what you think about those games, it's quite interesting because the way that it could work out, right, is if we beat Leeds, if we beat Leeds and Tottenham lose to Liverpool, Mm. That's a five-point lead Arsenal have over over Spurs yeah. with three games to go, yeah? yeah? Which means that if Arsenal beat Spurs at White Hart Lane, it's done, it's toast, it's over, Arsenal are fourth. At least fourth, Arsenal finish, right? Yeah. It means that if we draw, it's hard It's hard for Spurs, you know? But again, that's all contingent, you know, on, on those two results that I just mentioned first. Mm. But we really do need to beat Leeds because, you know, it's momentum, but as we discussed, like both these teams, Arsenal and Tottenham, have got the capability of, of dropping points. So just, I'll pause there. Our prospects against Leeds, very quickly, first of all, what do you think? Yeah, this game does worry me a little bit. Like Leeds are actually in all right form. They've obviously kind of, since they they swapped um, Bielsa for Jesse Marsh, Marsh yeah. Um, they seem to have had, ha- had a bit of a turnaround in form. Um, they seem to be a little bit more. So I know they got they got sort of beat comprehensively by City, but that's Man City. If you kind of take that result on that match out of their like last few games, they're actually been relatively solid. And I think that's one thing that he's instilled into that that team. And my worry is they're going to come like I was looking at Leeds' fixture. I think they've got us, and then uh, well they have got us obviously. Then Chelsea, I think it is, and then they've got two kind of quite winnable games. It might be Brentford and Palace. Oh, I could be wrong. Someone else. Um, and I think like they'll probably come to us just like basically trying to get any sort of draw. Like if they could just take a nil nil or a one one. 
And that's my worry is that we are basically going to have to, we're going to probably be coming up against a team. Yeah. Coming for a draw, setting up a low block. Um, and it's a question of, can we break them down? And if we don't break them down and get an early-ish goal, it's like the tension, you know, it's just that, that, that scenario where I'm not actually too worried about the, 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 the crowd becoming quite tense about what's happening on the pitch, but more so are the players going to be able to, to kind of, um, deal with it essentially. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's just going to be a, it's going to be an interesting challenge. Um, it's kind of frustrating that Leeds have so much to play for and they are fully in, like they're fully in it. Like those three teams, Burnley, Everton and Leeds, like you, I don't, no idea who's going to make it out of the three of them. So it's very, very, because even Watford, even Watford can come out of this. I don't know, mate, do you reckon? I think I've got the table here somewhere, but they're like, mate, they're like 12. They can't, can they? They're like 12 points. I think they can. I don't think they're that bad, man. No, they're, they're on they're 22 that... points and Leeds are on 34. On yeah, I think, I think. Oh, hang on. Sorry. I've completely misread that. <laughs> Did you think it was 32 points? I thought it was 32. Okay, no. So yeah, I think it's, forget I think me, it's just forget. between I'm those. I'm still drunk from Sunday. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so yeah, those three teams, I think, uh, yeah, like I said, I think that that's my concern. Um, look, on paper, we should be we should be beating them, but you know when you get to this stage of the season, when you're playing a team with a few games to go, that absolutely needs a result. Like I'm not, I don't think they're going to come and they're obviously not going to come and play expansive football like Bielsa would have and try and win the game. So um, they're going to set up in a way that's just going to frustrate us. And just how do we deal with that? That's my kind of worry. And look, the good thing is that we've got goals in the team now, right? We've got goals in the team. We've got a striker that's willing to shoot um, and is in the in the box um, taking shots, all that kind of stuff. And I was obviously in, in, in good form. Um, and I feel like, you know, if we'd have come into this game off the back of the three that we lost, I'd, I'd be really worried. I, I still think we'll win on Sunday, but I don't know what other fans are predicting yet or whatever and other people are saying in terms of um, Arsenal people are saying, but um, I think it might be a bit tighter than people expect it to be, if that makes sense. That's interesting. So if I ask you for just two predictions, like to wrap this up in a few minutes, mm. um, what's your prediction for Arsenal Leeds? What's your prediction for Liverpool Tottenham? Arsenal Leeds, I'll go 2-1. I think it'll be pretty tight. Liverpool Tottenham, oh my God, this game's stressing me out because I'm really worried. Like, I don't think like, so obviously Liverpool have got the game tomorrow against Villarreal and I just hope they kind of, yeah, like they score early and then they're pretty much through and they could just rest every, like they can make some subs, rest people, whatever. And it's just a very comfortable night for them. And I think it will be, I don't think they'll have any trouble, but I'm just a bit worried that like Spurs seem to turn up in certain games. Like obviously the city games are a great example, but I'm just worried. They're just going to like, I don't know. I'm just worried. They're going to put in like a really good performance or Son and Kane are going to have a really good game and they might get something from that game. So I'm going to really pessimistically predict one, one. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I mean, the last time they played, it was a draw, I think. Oh. Um, yeah, it was. I think it was 2-2. Two, two. But I think out of the lo- out of the seven games before that, Liverpool won every one. So no, mate, I think Liverpool ho- tend to... Hopefully, hopefully Liverpool just do what they do at home yeah, to everyone yeah, and just yeah. blitz them. But maybe it's I just that, that nervousness coming in from the, you know, four games to go. And, uh, you know, yeah. But look, I think all we can do is focus on ourselves and hope that, you know, things go to plan and Liverpool do beat them. But I don't know, I've just got this weird feeling. Agree. My my, my prediction, I think that I've, I've got the same anxieties as you. Um, 
but uh, but uh, it, look, if I was to put money on it, I think that you know what's gonna I for us, I think we're gonna win two nil. Okay. I think it is gonna be nervy, mm. and I and I I wouldn't be surprised if even like you know it's kind of similarly kind of set piece related goals. I wouldn't be surprised if, if that's the way. Um, but I think we're gonna win two nil, and I think um, Liverpool will win three one. That'd be amazing. Yeah. So obviously, look, my prediction sees us would see us going into the North London Derby weekend in a pretty, you know, decent position. Um, and your prediction would see us go in if we're both drawing. Sorry, if we win and they draw. So, yeah, that's four points. We'd go in four points. Yeah. yeah. So that would still be that was still like any sort of buffer going into the North London Derby would be would be huge because then you're essentially saying not that we should approach the game in this way, but we don't have we don't have to win. Yeah, we just have to get a draw. Basically, make sure we don't lose, um, and then it's in our it's still in our hands. And two games to go, like we'd have to absolutely collapse to to not make it from there. We would, and and we are capable. But <laughs> <laughs> we're capable. But hey, you know what? It's just it's going to be a hell of a ride in these last few games. So look, let's all let's all buckle in and look. I think we'll we'll call it a day there. So uh, next game is on Sunday. Um, so we've got a few days before that. Uh, do Tottenham play on Saturday, don't they? Yeah, play Saturday. So we're going to know. So we'll know what what's going to happen before mm-hmm. Sunday. So that's going to be interesting. Um, but anyone, look, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Mice, thank you for uh, joining the pod. And um, obviously we will both be at the Sunday game. So we will report back with that experience. And uh, everyone have a, have a fantastic remainder of your week. And thanks again for joining and, and listening to us. And like, share, subscribe, all the rest of it. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. See you, mate. Cheers. Bye. Bye.